0: paying anything if you pay it off mm-hmm. so no like uh fees or anything but you can't get like free miles or anything um, but... in the u.s it's just it's like that because um companies uh became super uh um competitive and to try to get more people to use their credit um cards and stuff like that do you cause them what they decided to do is they would um offer incentives like you know miles or like um uh, cash back bonuses and it lets people want to join their credit company
1: uh, sorry to interrupt the conversation guys uh, it actually sounds like it's relatively on topic so that's uh, that's nice and refreshing um, but we'll get everything rocking and rolling uh, because it's probably going to be a shorter q and stream today and apologies in advance for that Uh, it's just that I've got to get up early tomorrow and it is late here just uh, I upload these videos late uh, in my time zone just so I can sort of reach as many people as possible uh, around the world and that's the price I pay for living in Australia which is literally in the arse end of nowhere as it relates to absolutely everybody else uh, in the English-speaking world at least so um, with that out of the way uh, welcome everyone here and on the YouTube live stream. Thanks for uh, watching the video and thanks for coming on to here. I hope uh, hope you enjoyed it or at least you know uh, took something from it or if nothing else you're here to shout at me which is equally as welcomed. Um, now standard procedure for people that haven't been on the Q&A stream, uh, we only just started it last week. Uh, but by default if you could mute your microphone when you get in here. Uh, If you do have a question, of course, you're more than welcome to unmute your microphone. That's completely fine Uh, It's just that unfortunately oftentimes when we have a lot of people in this room uh, People that have live mics sometimes echo and we spend half of our time playing whack-a-mole with this these echoey echoey noises Uh, But with that out of the way standard kind of procedure is um, You know, I hope everyone here has watched the video Uh, And then if they do uh, feel free to ask questions. Captain Locke uh, here, uh, one of the moderators, Will Write out a list of uh, topics that we're going to discuss. That, for the most part, keeps us relatively uh, on, on topic. Now, if um, you know you want to ask something that's outside of that, that's completely fine. At the end of the day, uh, these Q and A sessions almost inevitably get derailed, and we we talk about all manner of hypotheticals. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, but if we could sort of revert back to those uh, originally, that would be fantastic. Uh, other than that, I hope you guys are all happy and well and staying safe in these crazy times. But does anyone have any questions to get us kicked off?
0: I do. Uh, so is it possible that like, what if like we started a bank with the UAE, with those uh, Arab, uh, was it, um, morals? Like we'll just all pitch in to start a bank for that. Then we'll, you know, make profit off it.
1: Uh, yeah, you could do that. It'd be like a, yeah, a mutual bank. Uh, but, you know, you, you can write that with whatever comment you want.
2: Just, just be a president of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the, yes. difficult, the difficult part of that is, of course, actually sort of getting people to, uh, you know, pull their money together or pull their resources together to make it a reality. You know, uh, obviously, well, if, if you well, can... Came... Well, well,
3: I'll just get loans.
1: <laughs> ah, there, there it is. And then you lose the
3: loans to pay off that loan. It works every time. <laughs>
1: ah. I, I just wanted to make that joke. I'm about to head off, actually, so you guys enjoy. Ah, well, you got me. Well done, mate. Well done. <laughs> get out of here. All right. Does anyone have another question?
4: Yeah, so I do, real quick. With uh, so with the Islamic banks, I think one of the things that you mentioned was that they invest uh, in in the sense of equity in, in some companies. Uh, if I'm a company and want to take on a project that, you know, I could easily just, you know, pay for now and I don't necessarily want to dilute myself, then why would I want to do that?
1: Yeah that's a really good question. So uh, for starters I mean obviously a lot of these institutions, well a lot of these companies are owned by uh, Muslims who you know want to make sure they're abiding by their faith and everything like that Uh, so that is still one of those instances where they will say, Ah, oh, you know what, actually, uh, I've, I've just got to do this because I just don't believe in the idea of debt, uh, either as a giver or a receiver of it. And, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, obviously, you know, not much getting around that. Uh, and to be honest, I don't understand the complexity of that. But oftentimes, what they will do um, is fund a particular project. So let's say they have a very, you know, uh, fantastic company. Uh, that's going very very well but this company wants to I don't know construct a new apartment building or um, you know roll out a new whatever something or rather a particular project they'll fund that project specifically uh, and they will take a cut of the earnings from that project or the the increased revenue from that project rather than uh, equity in the company itself so if you have a big established company you might not necessarily have to dilute your ownership uh, it just means if you are, I don't know, let's say developing a new block of flats, uh, and you know you need fifty percent of the equity, uh, you know you need fifty percent of cash to to make that a reality. Uh, they might take fifty percent of the equity in that project, uh, if that sort of um, if that sort of makes sense, rather than your actual company itself. So uh, obviously, you know there are advantages and disadvantages to that either way. Uh, certainly, as a borrower and a lender. Um, but, you know, obviously there are some intrinsic advantages, certainly for, for the big picture, um, which is really interesting. And uh, I think there's actually someone on here um, that works for uh, an Islamic bank. Uh, someone on the uh, YouTube, uh, sorry, the, the Discord server, and I'm not sure exactly who it is. I think Captain Lock, you, you, do you know who it is?
5: No, I don't know who they I couldn't track them down, but I know that they spoke a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then, I don't know if they've just been lurking around, I haven't seen I them.
1: I believe see, he does.
5: Yeah, they were here like two or three episodes ago.
1: Oh Well, there you go. I mean, either way, um, uh, yeah. very interesting. Very I wish you up right now. Yeah. Uh, it is an interesting thing. And of course, you know, um, Compounded Daily, uh, someone in the industry is someone that's, you know, well and truly uh, up to speed with the, the advantages, disadvantages of equity versus debt positions. Um, it's a good question and it does ultimately sort of limit it there uh, and uh, El Staviano, uh said nope EE e, and I think he was talking about uh, who can apply for these loans uh, and you are correct yeah uh, most institutions uh, will open it up to anyone so you don't have to be uh, 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 practicing Muslim or anything like that uh, at the end of the day they're, they're an institution they're there to make money so if you go into them and you, you know, propose to make them a deal uh, where they're going to make money, well they'll they'll do it. They'll just won't write it lot to you as a loan where you're going to pay, uh, where you're going to pay interest on it.
4: Yeah, thank you. That answers my question. Thank you. Yeah, that's okay. So, is it often pri- primarily a difference just in in you know how things are being labeled rather than a reality?
1: Yeah. So that's a really interesting one of it. Okay. So uh, it ultimately depends on what the product is. Now a lot of the products that you actually see from these banks um, are, you know, a lot of people just sort of say, ah, look, you know, they're basically doing absolutely everything the same as a regular bank. They're just finding some sneaky way to rebrand what interest is. So look, instead of calling it a home loan, we'll call it, you rent this property for 30 years, and then we'll give it to you at the end of it. But come on, you know, at the end of the day, you're ultimately doing the same things. Realistically, you're probably paying the same amount of money Uh, The the repayments will look exactly the same. Uh, What's the difference between that and a home loan? Yeah, you you get to feel good about not calling it an interest-bearing debt. Um, So, you know, it it sort of adheres to to your laws. Uh, And the same is true with things like savings accounts. Yeah, okay, we can't give you interest, but what we will do is profit share. I mean, effectively, that's the same thing that a bank does, you know, effectively their interest payments to, to people that have savings accounts are, you know, a way of them sharing the profits that the bank makes with the people that make that possible. Um, so there is an argument to be made that, look, they're really just emulating a normal Western financial institution uh, and just rebranding it in such a way that they kind of you know find some loopholes to accommodate it in, in uh, like, you know, Sharia law. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a few sort of nuances there, like the fact that they do have to take equity ownership of, you know, homes or businesses and stuff that like they invest in, uh, which in a sense, you know, kind of has some some intrinsic advantages. Uh, where exactly they draw the line, look, it's one of those things that's really quite hard to say. Um, but, you know, there are sort of a lot of good things we said, at least about the theory, I suppose.
5: I would also add that, um, yeah, they, it, well, if it, what's the saying, if it, uh, walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, right? Uh, but there is, you know, there is a possibility of contractual differences uh, between the uh, debt versus um, these Islamic finance equity stakes. Because uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes down to what's in the fine print, what's the contract itself. Uh, and anybody in the industry, you know, knows that it's, it's not clear cut all the time. If it's not standardized, then uh, it's, you can't really predict it ahead of time.
6: Hey, hey, um, can I ask
1: something? Yeah, go ahead.
6: Uh, what's top a uh, person that gets a loan from paying just the interest of the loan, not uh, the principal itself?
5: Like
1: an, an interest-only loan? Yeah. What was the question about interest-only loans?
6: Uh, like for example, I'm I'm uh, for the United States, they are uh, getting the loans like there's uh, something trillions but what I see is that the interest is only getting paid, not the principal itself.
1: Uh, is this for things like, like home loans and, and what, what particular type of loans?
6: No, in general, just uh, what's stopping the person from getting a loan, just paying the principal, uh, the the interest itself, not the principal.
1: Oh, I mean, okay. Yeah, normally, normally that's dictated in the contract. Um, so, you know, if you ed- enter into a loan agreement, normally you'll have a repayment term. Uh, Now, as you've correctly pointed out, there are uh, contracts. uh, It's it's common for things like um, home loans, or or sometimes they'll call them home equity lines of credit or HELOC loans, where effectively you have a limit and you can, if you want to just pay the interest on that. Um, There's no sort of set repayment schedule. Normally when you get like a home loan, for example, it's, you know, you pay this off over, well, what is it normally 30 years, right? Um, But there are cases where it's like, no, look, you're going to take out a $100,000 loan. Uh, Let's say it's 5% interest. So long as you pay us $5,000 every year, you don't have to touch the balance. You can keep on doing that. Um, And of course, there are some advantages for things like that. Uh, It gives people access to a a pool of credit that they can draw on at any time. Um, But that's sort of more finance and, uh, you know, it can cause issues, of course, and it, it very easily lets people over leverage themselves. But uh, yeah, look, uh, I don't. Um, beyond that, I mean, was there any particular credit around those? Uh, sorry, any particular questions about those types of loans?
6: No, I think it just answers it.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. But that's what stops regular people taking out it and, and never and just paying the interest. Uh, that you you have to pay it off over the prescribed period. So that that is a good question.
0: Um, I was wondering
1: does the Islamic style of banking give any
6: extra protections against um, incidents and like
0: the 2008 mortgage um, crisis?
1: Yeah, well, it would in a sense that, um, you know, you can't really securitize these types of, I suppose they're effectively liabilities. Uh, And at the end of the day, it also sort of, Yeah, 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 true, probably. Yeah, Uh,
5: I'm working on it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, geez. Man, if it's it's a financial something or other, uh, you better believe that they're going to make some kind of derivative for it. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, the big thing is that they actually sort of directly take uh, an equity position in what they're investing in. So it's something where it's like, yep, okay, so let's say uh, the Bank of Dubai, um, you know, wants to write a mortgage. Well, they can't write a mortgage, so they'll go and buy a house. They own that house so they want to make sure um, that that house does not go down in value because that's their asset that's there on their books it's not a home loan contract because that's not what's normally on a a bank's books it's an actual house that's on the bank's books Um, so yeah if anything it it encourages uh, an extra degree of of cautiousness I suppose Um, whether that actually works in reality who's to say Um, but in principle at least uh, it would obviously incentivize the banks to be just that little bit more cautious because it's, it's their assets that they're ultimately investing in. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And you know, to date, uh, there haven't been any major issues with these institutions. Uh, that being said, though, they are a, still a relatively modest portion of the, the, the global financial market.
5: And could you
1: run one of these sort of institutions um,
5: in a society where uh, normal debt-based banks are prevalent? yes you can yep there are a number of uh, financial institutions in london that currently specialize in providing these types of uh products both to uh you know as traditional islamic customers as well as anyone who's just is interested in, in that type of product um and they adhere to uh you know the islamic law um but they're run by people who you know you wouldn't traditionally associate as being islamic um you have people who work who are islamic who work in this but you know for the most part it's, it's just your run-of-the-mill kind of generic uh, uh financial institution yeah
1: yeah and, and the when other, you, and, and,
6: and... Yeah, when it was first described i was thinking that they sounded a lot like large hedge hedge funds just investing into different um things and then getting profits out of it
1: it, or, yeah, been... In many senses, like I mean, in the fact that they're putting their own capital to work, uh, I guess, yeah, so, like they're well, not really. I mean, hedge funds are kind of a weird beast all of their own, but, um, but yeah, maybe like a like an asset management company or something along those lines. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting idea. Um, and the other thing I did want to make sure that people understand as well is that even in countries like, uh, let's say, the United Arab, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, where, of course, you know, these, a lot of these big businesses are centralized or Saudi Arabia or wherever it may be. Um, there is still regular banks that operate in the area, you know, international banks like, like Owen pointed out, HSBC. Um, you know, a lot of the, the big sort of uh, international players still operate in these markets. Uh, it's just that they have this as an alternative for the, you know, obviously significant population of Muslims that that wouldn't be serviced yeah. by a regular financial institution. Um, so that's a big distinction to make as well. Uh, someone else had a quick question. You not pres-
6: to follow the Islamic uh, Islamic rules in the bank. Uh, you can do it. It's like international markets there, but there's uh, unique rules there. But I really don't know which one exactly. But there's uh, some unique rules about uh, the Islamic ways there. But uh, yeah, hmm. so,
1: the other thing is they won't they uh, won't invest into something that. Uh, does not appear to.
6: Forbidden, yeah. Forbidden
1: in Islam. Yeah. Yeah. So they won't, if you want to, if you go to them and say, hey, do you mind going, uh, do you mind putting some equity into my new casino and prostitution ring? Uh, they're going to be like, yeah, you know, thanks, but no thanks. No. Yeah. We're going to give that a hard pass. You don't like uh, blackjacks and hookers? Yeah. <laughs> so, I um, some, so no yeah, blackjack yeah, and hookers. Uh, I'm going to answer, uh, keep your question. I'm going to answer Beatrice Bernardo's question quickly. Just oh, I, I am Beatrice. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Yep, yep. Go ahead then. That's fine. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead, you can read it up. Oh, God, you're going to make me read it? Fine. All right, uh, yes, yeah, so features. Uh, generally speaking, wealth uh, is made with voluntary trade. However, in a no-debt economy, there are many loans that could have happened but didn't happen, e.g. I want to buy a new gaming PC on my credit card. Does not mean that this is going to reduce total wealth? Is it a preventative to voluntary trade? Uh, or was that trade actually a waste? Not creating wealth, so uh, it shouldn't happen in the first place anyway. A yeah, really good question. So a lot to unpack with that. Um, the first thing is, if you get a new gaming PC, uh, that has increased your wealth. Uh, you know, some people might not like it, but uh, but you know, realistically, that's going to bring you a lot of joy. That's going to bring you uh, a lot of utility. You might even be able to do some work on it and stuff like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's probably going to give you a lot of entertainment. And that's actually increasing your material quality of life. So uh, to answer that question, yes, you know, getting a gaming PC uh, will increase your, you know, uh, material material wealth. Now, Don't uh, tempt me. Yeah, well, hmm. hey, you know, we're, we're all locked inside. I'm, I'm actually sort of speculating you. <laughs> You're a lot of sales myself. right now. Yeah, oh my god. I'm uh, I I'm justifying it to myself as like, ah, oh, you know, I do so much video editing now. I need like a good computer that's going to be able to render faster. It's like, yeah, definitely also should be able to play all of these games at
5: 4K cuz, you know, that's what I Minecraft ray tracing. Let's be realistic. You're going to play Eve online with it.
1: Yeah, with like <laughs> 20 accounts at a time. Exactly. Uh, yeah, World anyway. Terraria. Anyway, <laughs> man, uh, yeah, I was trying to talk myself out of it, but uh, I think I probably will. Anyway, I'll keep you guys up to date. Uh, now, um, back onto the, the question of course is, so let's say um, you are living in a, a debt-free society now, so you don't have a credit card, so you can't buy this PC. Well, that's pretty shit, right? And you kind of correctly point out that isn't that sort of denying um, you know prosperity to the economy? Because not only then am I not, Buying that PC, so I'm not increasing my, you know, sort of happiness, but I'm also not employing someone that might, you know, construct those parts or components or put it all together or the people that are going to ship it out to me. I've sort of put a, a roadblock into um, actually sort of, you know, spending this money and getting all of that sort of shaking and moving in the economy. Uh, and the answer to that is sort of yes, uh, in the short term, that is correct. But you got to think about the whole narrative here. So right now, you're absolutely right. That is a pretty shit deal for the economy because it would be so much better if you went out and, you know, racked up some credit card debt buying yourself a new $5,000 gaming PC with a, you know, AMD 3950X and a, you know, 2080 Ti. That would be fantastic. But this is the big but, though. You would then have a big credit card debt. So let's say you spend five thousand uh, dollars on your credit card to, to buy your new gaming PC. Well suddenly you are going to need to do two things. You're gonna to need to pay 20% interest on that, so congratulations. Even if you don't spend a cent more on that credit card, that's a thousand dollars a year that you're gonna be paying uh, just an in interest to, to that credit card. And what that means is that you suddenly next year um, you know, are, are limited by a thousand dollars. You can spend thousand dollars less in a society, which means short term, sure, you've got that big five thousand dollars bump. Um, but for every year until you've paid that credit card off, uh, you're going to be constrained with how much you can spend because you know you've got to actually sort of put a little bit of your money towards paying off your credit card. Which means that you know the price for that uh, that PC, you know, sure it was five thousand dollars up front, but with interest, by the time you've actually sort of paid it off. Might be fifteen, twenty thousand dollars with credit card debt. It can easily go that way, uh, and what that means is that in that time it's taken you to pay off that debt, you've denied society twenty thousand dollars worth of spending, or actually, rather, you've denied society fifteen thousand dollars worth of spending. The difference between it that you paid out in interest, which means short term, yes, debt spending is fantastic. It's like a big shot of adrenaline or steroids for our economy. Uh, but long term, there's a very, very strong argument to be made for the fact that if everyone just sort of saved and bought what they saved for, uh, we would be a lot more consistent uh, and a lot better off long term. Um, now, it's hard to sort of say what the correct argument is there. Uh, it's basically sort of this is one of those things that, you know, different schools of economic thought disagree on. Uh, now, typically, my opinion is this. If you can get a loan that has low interest and you can put it towards something productive that is going to generate more wealth than the interest on that loan, that's good. If you are going to take out a loan to buy something that's not going to produce any wealth at all, or is going to produce a wealth at a rate that's lower than the interest, that is bad. To really push this example, let's say you spend $5,000 on that PC. But you, um, you know, use it to, to video edit or to design or you know make CAD drawings or uh, I don't know do protein folding simulations or do something that's going to add value. And let's say you start a business and your business earns fifteen thousand dollars a year. Well, even if you were buying that on your credit card, suddenly that's become a pretty good investment, right? It's pretty unlikely, you know, the kind of uh, investments that return twenty two percent a year are pretty few and far between. But that's where it sort of becomes a, a good investment. Realistically, though, there's not much better than actually having the cash there ready to go and using that. Um, so I hope that really sort of explains your question uh, and didn't sound sort of too rambly.
4: A quick, quick question as part of that, actually. Would you be subtracting um, inflation from that equation, basically, because the money is going to be worth less in the future? So if, you're, you know, if the money is worth less and you're paying off, it's basically it's decreasing the size of the interest rate.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, interest, uh, sorry, inflation is important consideration. Uh, so perhaps it was unfair of me to say, oh, it's twenty percent. Now, inflation's normally relatively modest, uh, at least as it compares to credit card interest rates. Um, but hey, you, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, at the moment here in Australia, you can get a home loan for two percent interest. Now, our targeted inflation rate is two to three percent, which means that if you own a house outright you're almost insane, right? I mean, it, it, it seems like, you know, basically they are kind of just giving you away free money. Um, but uh, obviously you know, there's there's some security risks and stuff like that involved with it. But yeah, you're absolutely right, especially at sort of lower interest rates. Uh, the idea of inflation actually is, is a pretty big consideration, uh, but I don't want that to confuse most people. So um, all other things being equal, um, just sort of consider it like that. Uh, and I hope that sort of makes sense there.
3: Oh, um, so I'm not sure if you spoke about, I guess, global debt. Um, so I mean, debt, from my understanding, is just borrowing from your future in order to invest in yourself. But governments uh, kind of do that as well with corporations and they invest in other countries. And I guess the biggest thing is uh, purchasing power. Uh, technically, if you have a $1,000, I mean, if you look at like the Mac computer, for instance, that was like, what, 3000 $4,000 back in the day? and now it's like a thousand dollars and it's still quote-unquote expensive but america kind of took that gamble with china in and companies took their gamble with china and brought down prices so even though america's in debt technically it's purchasing power is a lot higher than it ever would have been otherwise
7: right
1: so can you just run that by me uh just again uh, i don't know if it's just because it was dropping out it's probably for, uh, probably an issue from my end uh, I think I understand, but I just want to make sure I understand it fully. Sorry to be annoying.
3: Yeah, I was saying like in terms of uh, national debt and corporate corporate debt, right? They invest in other countries and um, in pursuit of lower manufacturing costs, lower labor costs, et cetera. Now, it, even though I guess the national debt of America is super high, they took that gamble on their future because it means their purchasing power per dollar is actually higher. So, I mean, a Mac back in the day was actually like $4,000. Now it's like $1,000 or something. Like everything, even though your purchasing power of the dollar itself has decreased, the things that you can do with that dollar has actually increased.
1: Right, yeah. Am I right? Uh, I think you're confusing a few things here. Now, as it relates to debt, uh, look, if they took out debt to um, facilitate trade with with China, let's say, uh, you know, it would ultimately depend Mm -hmm. on that as an investment. Now, if they sort of built factories that then in return, you know, give them really cheap, good quality products that they can go in and sell. uh, It seems like it would be a pretty good investment. Now, as it relates to purchasing power parity within China, uh, international exchange rates and the value of the dollar, there are just too many variables. So many variables in that question because you've got so much to consider. The US dollar being a world currency, uh, China sort of fixing their exchange rate uh, and sort of and, and tampering with it in, in a sense. Um, obviously sort of rules around trade, you've got foreign exchange, um, you know, like actual sort of monetary creation. Uh, there is just so many variables that I, I just like wouldn't be able to unpack it um, or it, it would literally be sort of like an hour long um, sort of lecture. So I think interesting question, uh, but probably realistically beyond, beyond the capacity of realistically knowing. Um, and you'd probably need to speak to someone in, in the industry to fully understand that, cause to be honest, um, there's just sort of so many things involved in that.
3: I was looking at, I mean, Japan, like American <laughs> probably in Japan and Germany, and they got the investment back obviously, but they, that's, uh, 1985, they had a Plaza card because the U S dollar was too, uh, it it was in such high demand that they, the American industries actually died when they were selling to Japan and to Germany. So they had the Plaza Accord and they deflated the currency. So, I mean, certain investments in countries... And right now, I mean, China, for instance, has like a 300% corporate debt. So, I mean, it's investing in Africa uh, in a market. It's, they're basically creating a market in Africa so that they can sell to later on. So, I mean, it's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it is. And uh, probably outside the scope, realistically, that was probably more a question for uh, last week's, well, sorry, uh, the the video earlier this week, um, on Thursday, uh, oh, about sorry. the Chinese debt trap and everything like that. But no, no, look, I mean, it's interesting, nonetheless. Um, but there's just so much to sort of realistically unpack with that, because uh, China is, is doing a whole lot of pretty crazy things. Uh, and, and look, to, to realistically answer your question, it would take so long and it would just be so rambly. Um, that uh, the, yes, You know. sometimes those are good investments, uh, and that's the sort of too-long-didn't-read-of-it. <laughs> so, uh, Bone, not as satisfying an answer as you were looking for, but hopefully, uh. hey, maybe we can talk about it later um, on. Yeah. So,
5: I've I, I yes. a question. But I
1: to, yeah. uh, sorry, someone else said something. Uh, sorry, about... someone else said something
0: about it. Can I ask a question? You can. Uh, in your opinion, is it worth to pay down a loan in advance if you can make uh, like more in the market and you have other investments cash flowing for you and you can easily cover the payments plus you have some reserves in case your income disappears suddenly?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And ultimately, uh, the answer is yes. Historically, of course, um, you know, markets typically return seven to eight percent. Now, if you believe that they will continue to do so into the future, which, you know, hey, obviously that is speculation, but... We have no reason to believe otherwise, and let's say you're borrowing money at two percent or something like that. Uh, Yeah, of course that makes sense. Uh, But it it ultimately, you know, it's a trade-off of uh, there is something nice about not having any debt uh, over your head. You know, some people like the idea of, hey, you know, I'm completely debt-free. I don't have to worry about anything. Uh, Isn't that sort of it it feels good, right? Um, And you know, there are some people that's like, okay, yep, but I just want to make the most amount of money that I possibly can. Uh, You know, for example, there are people that let's say own their home outright and say, Hey, look, the market's dipping. Maybe I'll just go and get a new home loan again, get all of that cash and throw it into the stock market. Now, realistically, that seems like a logical decision. You know, uh, if you can go out and get a home loan, as I said, that's you know, 2% interest per year, uh, I can chuck it into the stock market. And over time it's probably going to, you know, pay back 8% per year. Ah, that basically seems like free money, right? and it seems logical to be honest i would do something like that but i'm sort of a more risk-taking individual there are some people that would say that and be like that is the most batshit insane idea that i've ever heard Um, so it's ultimately you know human emotions versus logic Um, but uh, yeah i mean the answer to your question is yes uh, it is a sensible decision just one of those things as long as you understand the risks and also you know this isn't financial advice please don't sue me (laughs)
4: I was going to say, it's the logical thing to do. Um,
7: It's uh, all about how Uh, much risk you're willing to take. If you take no risk and buy the thing outright, there's no risk for you. If you take uh, out a loan and your uh, income uh, becomes less and, and you can't pay the loan back, well, you took the risk
0: and now you have to pay more.
1: Yeah, and I think... yeah, Well,
0: the question, the question was pretty much, if I can cover it with my passive income, that's very unlikely to ever disappear, then does it kind of make sense?
1: Well, I mean, the the places where it could disappear at times like now, right? You know, there are a lot of companies that are saying we're not paying out dividends, things of that nature. Um, and that would be, hey, potentially it's a year where you don't have any income. So you have two options, either you default on your loan, which is obviously not a great option, or you actually sell some of those shares. Let's say you invest into shares, but if you're forced to sell shares at a time like this, well, that's at the bottom of the market. That's a really, really bad outcome for you because you would have you know, bought high and sold low, which is of course the opposite of what you're wanting to do. Uh, so I think if you're doing sort of risky strategies like this, always make sure you do it with a good fat security fund. Um, you know, mm-hmm. normally sort of, six months worth of expenses if everything goes to shit and you don't earn a dollar, uh, something that you can survive for at least six months. That's normally what I recommend and it things, it tends to be the advice of most sort of financial uh, financial gurus out there on the internet or financial planners, things of that nature. Uh, and you know that gives you a lot of safety as well so you can sort of go out and do these kind of crazier things like you know releasing equity in your home to, to buy up shares at you know the bottom of the market all that kind of fun stuff. Um, uh, but make sure you do it safely, make sure you do it with a, a six month, uh, a six month emergency fund and whatever you do for the love of God, please don't look at wall street bets.
0: Okay. Thank you. And, uh, like if I had multiple, let's say investment properties and uh, I owned some outright and wanted to use that to kind of accelerate like portfolio growth. What is the ratio you would kind of, I, I mean, I know it's kind of personal. But what's the ratio you would like recommend of having like the amount of debt versus the amount of assets you already own?
1: Uh, well, I mean, it ultimately depends. You I know, mean, people that are just sort of starting out, uh, you know, a lot of people, especially okay, with investment properties. And, uh, if I had
0: multiple, let's say, investment properties, oh, I've got to someone, and uh, Captain I Own some outright and wanted to use that to kind of accelerate portfolio.
1: Ah, sorry, Chris, your, your microphone was echoing. Uh, yeah, so um, now this is, this is of course, pff, you know, this is verging on financial advice and investing advice and, and finance and all that sort of stuff. And we're here to discuss economics, goddammit. We don't Let's care see about real-world stuff that's actually gonna make us money like that. We just wanna, wanna be philosophy students, but you know, with slightly better brand image. Yeah,
6: I have a question regarding debt and, and growth.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer. I'll answer that question first. You know, we may as well. We'll touch on it now. Now, normally, um, you, you'd want at least sort of twenty uh, percent equity in your total position, uh, and that's sort of the standard. You have to put a twenty percent deposit down on real estate to invest in. Now, that's a, probably a you know a pretty pretty crazy because that's technically you know five to one leverage. Uh, but anything below that, oh, look, you know, ultimately, sort of cater it to your risk tolerance. You know? um, if you want to go fifty fifty, obviously, you know, it's a little less risky. If you hey, if you want to go 80-20, no worries, you'll probably grow your portfolio much faster. But uh, of course, you know, you got to be prepared to to ride the the storms out a little bit more. Uh, Good question, not economics, but interesting nonetheless. Sorry, go ahead, uh, person that had a question before that. Um, Yes, I wanted to
4: ask about the link between rising debt and economic growth. Like
5: right now we're injecting so much money into the system through debt. And what do you think of the effects this will have on growth going forward and through which channels
1: so um the way i like to think of of debt is uh as coffee all right and and this is like a really simple analogy that i used to use with students to uh to get them to understand it now of course look if you've got a much more detailed understanding of the business cycle um you can throw my analogy away but that's okay uh now your day-to-day life you have booms and busts right you know, in the middle of the day, you're going to be, you know, firing on all cylinders, and uh, you know, obviously, there are times when you've got to go to sleep, right? Uh, everyone sort of goes through those sort of cycles. I'm assuming everyone here sleeps, okay? Uh, now, let's say in this analogy, uh, you know, the daytime is is the booms. You know, it's up when you're productive and everything's sort of working, and you're kind of doing stuff and building stuff and achieving things, uh, and sleep time is just when your economy needs to kind of recover. Uh, Now, economic stimulus, in a sense, is sort of like your morning coffee. It can take you from those bad times and hopefully kind of get you moving again. But where it gets really, really dangerous uh, is if people overuse it, uh, of course, you know, to try and recover something where, you know, look, you know, I haven't slept for four days and I need to uh, keep this economy kind of firing along because, you know, heaven help us, there's an election year next year and I need it. Um, so you know, let's like you know, mainline coffee straight into my veins. Uh, that's of course dangerous, and that's where you sort of see things like you know, reckless fix, fiscal stimulus and, and monetary policy causing uh, hyperinflation and things of that nature. The ultimate goal of these, um, the ultimate goal of these policies is to sort of smooth out that business cycle. Uh, it's almost inevitable that you know, in a debt-based economy like we have, uh, that there are booms and busts. You know, people borrow more, people, people borrow and buy beyond their means for a few years. And then, you know, they spend a few years paying back that debt, And, you know, that's kind of a cycle that's destined to repeat itself. And and that's basically sort of what happens. You know, obviously there are things that accelerate it and things that alleviate it, um, but that's human nature. It's what happens. That's why we go into, it's why we go into a recession pretty much like clockwork every 10 to 12 years. Uh, Now governments, you know, sort of notice when the economy is slowing down and they sort of open up the taps. And hopefully that makes the recession a little less severe. Their job then is when during the good times is to actually sort of say, okay, you know what? We're gonna tax you a little bit more. We're gonna raise the interest rates so that the, the, the high isn't quite as severe. Uh, we're not sort of growing quite as, as much as we possibly could at the maximum potential, uh, but it means that, you know, the next recession is not gonna be quite as bad because we're not gonna be over-reliant on debt and spending and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it sort of controls that growth. Uh, It makes the standard deviation from a sort of a nice, comfortable upward trajectory relatively smooth, uh, which is ultimately, of course, also conducive to better, more sustainable, long-term economic growth, Um, you know, just like your daily cup of coffee. So um, I hope that sort of, uh, you know, makes sense. And I think right now, of course, look, this is pretty bad times where we're literally an economy on life support at the moment. Um, So if there was ever a time to, you know, bring out the uh, 50 cc's of adrenaline, it would be right now. Uh, So I can't really sort of say that anything they're doing right now is irresponsible. What would be irresponsible is to assume that, oh, look, if we're not back into, you know, uh, you know, if we're not firing on all 10 cylinders in four years from now, uh, that we're going to keep on, you know, doing this fiscal stimulus, that we're going to keep on lowering interest rates and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Because that'll cause bigger problems further down the road. But, you know, look, I mean, that's also just my musings, I suppose. Wouldn't Um, you
6: just be used to it? Like the caffeine stuff? I mean, used to put stimulus into the market?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You also build immunity to it. If people are used to paying 2% for their home loans, uh, you better believe that they're going to tailor their budgets. They're going to plan their spending, their holidays, their promotions, their, you know, next house and car up around paying. 2% 2% uh, on their home loan. So if they suddenly have to pay 8% on their home loans, ugh, that's going to be a shock to the system, isn't it? Same way that if someone's used to having eight cups of coffee a day, eh, it's probably not very healthy, but you know, well, uh, it, it works all right for the Italians. Uh, if you suddenly cut them down to one, man, they are going to have some major withdrawals. Uh, okay, uh, Dave had a question over on the YouTube live stream. He said, "What alternative exists, oh, what alternatives exist to debt-based economy? Ah, finally, there was some 16 minute YouTube video that nice and neatly explained uh, some alternatives that exist to that. Go watch the video, Dave. Uh,
5: I love when people um, ask so... questions that we've already answered.
1: Yeah. I have a question. Could you talk more about
7: the role of inflation? Because if everybody's saving to buy uh, things they want without a debt, then while they are saving their, the value of their money, depreciate or even when somebody has a savings account and if the interest would be just as much as the uh, inflation would that really be an interest or is it just neutralizing the inflation i mean how what
1: yeah
7: uh say more about the role of inflation in this
1: you're absolutely right so so if let's say we have two percent inflation a year and you stick your money in a high interest savings account that's returning two percent uh, guess what your money is doing absolutely jack shit it's just sitting there it's you know it's not decreasing in value effectively you know your your pile of cash is going to be worth the same but it's not going to be worth any more. Uh, and a lot of people like to think if they save their money and they put it in a high interest savings account then it's going to be worth more um, and ultimately in the age of low interest rates that's not uh, that's not the case so you're absolutely right and it does sort of negatively affect savers now the idea of that is um, not too indirectly that well Uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Well, good. You know, fuck savers. They're not. They're contributing to the economy. What we'd actually rather people do, uh, especially in a time like this, is to say, "Oh, look. You know, you've got ten thousand dollars. Hey, you know, you're not going to get anything saving that money. If anything, it's probably going to be slowly eaten away by inflation. Why don't you take your ten thousand dollars and go out and buy a new car, or well, don't go on a holiday right now because, Uh, or, or you know, do something that contributes actively to the economy." Um, so that's why you know, they kind of like these idea of low interest rates because it doesn't keep up with inflation. Uh, and that's one of those uh, instances where that's why you know, sometimes they target a, a sort of a controlled inflation rate. And now there are, there, are, there are other reasons. Um, but that is one of them because you know at the end of the day they kind of want people that have savings to just kind of go out and spend it now, now now, rather than having it sitting there and not contributing inactively to a society, uh, which kind of sucks for savers, right? You know, it doesn't seem very fair um but you know no one said the economy was fair can i ask something about recession
7: but i mean how would they then buy a million dollar house let's say without i mean if saving is um is not a good choice but also when we are talking about a debt-free system then what is i mean this looks like not leaving any option open
1: yeah, well, the idea is, look, if you didn't have um, if you didn't have debt, uh, inflation would most likely be lower. Uh, there wouldn't be a sort of an instrument directly to to necessarily control inflation. And, and look, if you are talking about sort of a, a generic non-debt society, uh, you might have a stagnant amount of money. So it might just sort of be like you know, there's ten ten trillion dollars in currency in circulation. Uh, there'll never be any more. There'll never be any less. Uh, and if you're talking about debt-free society, that may actually be sort of a reality. Um, so your 2% interest rate, you would actually sort of accumulate money because interest uh, inflation would be relatively zero. Uh, now to answer your question, if if you were to um, you know, try to save up for a million dollar property now uh, you could still do it even if your money didn't actually sort of accumulate. The idea is look, you know, if you're earning $100,000 a year and you're saving $50,000 a year, okay, well, it's going to take you 20 years. Uh, obviously, adjusted for inflation and adjusted for interest rates, you're you back to you basically back to square one. It's going to take you 20 years to do that, right? So you're not sort of any necessarily better or worse off, and, and inflation sort of uh, kind of an, an irrelevant controlled variable to all of that. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, the point I was trying to make in the video is, you know, a house that would be worth a million dollars in our current system, uh, where you can leverage yourself up easily, sort of five to one with a 20% down payment, wouldn't be worth a million dollars if there was no debt in our society. And uh, the reason being is because, well, there aren't many people out there that have a million dollars in cash, right? Uh, there are plenty of people that have, let's say $200,000 in cash and can borrow $800,000. Uh, but the pool of people that have an actual million dollars, much, much smaller. Um, so the prevalence of those kinds of houses would be much, much smaller as well. It's a good question. Uh, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, we take so many things for granted today uh, that a debt-free society would be so removed from our current reality. Uh, You know, you have to kind of work around considerations like that.
4: Would you have to worry about deflation, though, in that type of an environment? Because wouldn't there there not be new currency entering the market?
1: Yeah, you would. Now, the way that we control inflation uh, these days is, of course, through monetary policy primarily. Uh, And that is, uh, you know, one of those things. Hey, look, that's ultimately a function of debt. Yeah, you know, you could eventually have people sort of sitting on ever-increasing piles of money and sort of... uh, Denying that currency circulating throughout the, the rest of the economy, uh, and that would be bad. That would be a negative outcome. But uh, you know, of course, look, obviously, again, it's such a it's such a sort of out there kind of reality. Um, that at that point, you know, you'd have to consider, oh well, look, maybe we print some more money, sort of year on year. Maybe we sort of increase the supply of money by two percent every year. Uh, at that point, you know, you can kind of you're basically making up rules. So why stop there, right? Uh,
0: can I ask something about recessions? uh yes well you mentioned a recession is inevitable and that's a fact now that we know a recession is inevitable why do they try and delay it why not like why do they lower the rates before it even happens like us did before all of this started and why don't they just save all the monetary policy policies for the recession itself and let it come sooner and get rid of it sooner minus the election year reason
1: yeah, good question. So uh, a big part of that is that things like monetary policy actually take time to take effect. Uh, so it's not something where if I lower interest rates today, the economy is going to get up and get going tomorrow. Sometimes, you know, monetary like policy, especially... No, no. It, to, to reach normal consumers, it will normally take about six months.
5: Uh, that's the yeah, sort six of, to nine months is, the, is yeah. the running joke. Yeah, six you know, to nine make months. Me, like the other joke is economists don't know that we're in a recession until six months in. You know, that's the, the joke, because it's slow to, to really assess this stuff.
1: Um, yeah, yeah and, anyway. and look, realistically, even by definition, a recession is two quarters of negative growth. Uh, so by definition, you can't know that you're in a recession uh, until you are six months into it. Uh, now, of course, you can have a pretty damn good idea, but, uh, you know, realistically you can't actually know until you are at least six months into it. So, um, you know, obviously there are considerations like that. But the real answer is they kind of want to preempt it. Um, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you see sort of this problem out there in the future, you preempt it so it kind of alleviates uh, the um, of the problem. So it's like, uh, I don't know, radar-guided cruise control on a car, right? It sees a big fat truck that's sort of, sort of slowing down up there in the distance. It's going to kind of... Kind of Gently lean on the brakes to make sure that it can come to a nice uh, gradual stop rather than having to, we'll either rear end a truck or you know, sort of slam on the brakes at the very last minute. Uh, and that sort of, you know, being able to sort of effectively smooth out the economy uh, is, is a really important factor. So they do spend a lot of time sort of preempting, you know, situations like this. Now, fiscal policy tends to act a lot quicker. Um, so things like chucking $1,200 to everyone out there in the economy. Yeah, that has some pretty immediate sort of POW, you know, that, that'll that sort of get stuff done. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, with monetary policy they kind of got a preempt situations like this. So hopefully that answers your question. Um I
3: have
2: one question. Uh
1: sorry, uh, national... someone someone had a question beforehand yeah. and then I'll get to you. Uh, was that me? Uh no, it was someone with a deep ish voice. Was
2: it
1: me? Uh man, I don't know. All right, some Someone someone put an X in, in chat if you want to ask a question, and I'll pick a, whoever puts the first X there in the VC chat.
5: Oh, I think that was there. me. You right, have, you have you to go. actually have a question, <laughs>
3: Meek. Oh, right. uh, I have a
5: question. All, All
8: right,
3: right, then, so um, may not really relate, but what are your thoughts on in economics for supply-side economics?
1: Yeah, it's a really, really good question. Now, I had this chat uh, with someone um, a little while uh, ago. I think it was actually on the last Q&A stream they sort of said oh look I've heard about all of these sort of different schools of economic thought and everything like that Uh, and I think ultimately Mm -hmm. look I'm of the opinion that there's a lot to be said for all of them Uh, at the end of the day they wouldn't exist if they had if they held no water if there wasn't sort of a decent argument for each of them so that's why they do uh, exist now uh, I think you know demand and supply is ultimately one of those things where People will look at it and they'll measure it from one side, rather than saying that that is the function of greatest, you know, the greatest economic output. I think you know when you're looking at supply side economics, um, it's particularly important uh, in situations like this. Now, at the end of the day, we are facing a situation that might actually be a, dem- a sorry, a supply side problem, um, where you know it's not a problem that hey, people might not actually sort of want to go out and spend, it's that they literally cannot. Uh, you know, factories aren't working, businesses aren't open, there's nothing out there producing anything. So you can't alleviate those sort of situations by throwing money at people. You know, they'll, they'll definitely try, um, but mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you can't do it. So I think a, fa- a, a solid understanding of the arguments, the principles of both of them, uh, are really, really important. Uh, and in full disclosure, look throughout my entire university, uh and you know educational career um i only sort of dealt in, in keynesian you know demand side economics so yeah. it's one of those crazy things a lot of universities especially in places like australia don't even look at supply side economics it's really it is kind of a really sort of weird um you know mm. it is a really weird phenomenon uh, but ultimately you know obviously as you do your own research and sort of grapple with you know experts on on these particular issues uh, i think it's it's limiting to the point that i'm trying to make is it's limiting uh to just assess one you need to sort of really understand both and look if you lean one way or the other that's completely fine as long as you understand both of them and can sort of accurately sort of realize where there's situations where you'd use one over the other
3: all right then well do you have like one system that you would prefer personally or not really
1: ah well look i mean i was i was Trained as a Keynesian, I, I, you know, studied as a Keynesian, so I would, so say I'd probably lean more towards demand side, uh, simply for the fact that it okay. is normally uh, easier to measure, uh, right? You know, normally it's sort of one of the the gauges that we sort of tend to use, are uh, like Keynesian gauges, things like GDP. Uh, it's all sort of demand side stuff, uh, but I respect that you really cannot have one without the other.
3: All right then. Okay, thank you.
1: Not
3: somebody else had a question uh yeah buns buns here you go oh that's me oh okay sorry yeah, I, forgot you, about no, him I don't you, think
1: you i don't
5: you, think he actually had a
1: question oh you were the first x ex- X. No, I, I,
3: I actually i had i had a question which oh, okay. is um why do we uh, in terms of like uh, i guess uh, an individual taking out debt right why do we uh like why do banks immediately look at gross, uh, gross income right what what because I guess a better qualifier for that would be something that an individual produces like goods and services, the total amount of revenue that that person or individual makes rather than the profits. Wouldn't that be a, I guess, a better qualifier for getting a loan?
1: Are you talking about as an individual or like a business borrowing money?
3: Yeah. So, so right now, um, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can yeah. hear you.
3: Uh no,
5: yeah, we can hear you. Uh he probably can't hear it. Yeah, his his connection fault comes in and out all the time. So
1: to answer the question as I heard it and if your connection does come back in and it works, uh, that's great. Uh if not, why do banks look at your your income rather than how much value you're generating, sort of how much revenue you produce uh as opposed to you know, uh, just sort of what your net profit is or what your gross annual income is. It's because of servicing. You know, if they give you a loan that's gonna require that you pay $2,000 a month to repay that loan over the prescribed uh, repayment period, they wanna make sure that you have the money to do that. So normally what banks will do is that they'll look at, you know, if you're a normal employee, you know, you're just working a a nine to five job, they'll look at, let's say, okay, you earn $100,000 a year, uh, you pay $30,000 in tax, your living expenses are gonna be $20,000 a year, Okay, no worries. How much loan can you afford for $50,000 a year? Yeah, you know, that, that's five $5,000 per month. Okay. Over 30 years, you can afford a uh, $750,000 home loan. You beauty, you know, that, that accounts for interest, a little bit of headroom, and that's sort of how they, they work it out. So they want to make sure that you have that sort of free flowing cash to actually facilitate those kinds of repayments. The same is ultimately true for business. If you look at things like airlines, Sorry, Boller, uh, by default, please mute your microphone, but I'm, I'm going to Yeah,
5: they this. have a question next, so.
1: Ah, well, I'll unmute yeah. you then, but you were typing around, I was driving mad. Uh, if you look at something like an airline, uh, their revenues are huge, huge. Well, normally they're huge, not right now, but normally it's quite, you know, quite huge, but uh, their overhead expenses are massive, uh, which means if they take out a loan, they can't pay their debts down with revenue, they need to pay it down with profit. Uh, you know, actual sort of free-flowing money that's not going to fund suppliers or fuel or anything else like that. Uh, and that, you know, would be sort of not sensible of them uh, to facilitate loan repayments based on, uh, you know, money that that's actually sort of already owed to, to other people in their supply chain. Uh, so hopefully that answers your question. All right, Boller, I'll unmute you and then you can ask your question.
3: Oh yes, sorry, I completely cut off there. That's
1: okay. Yeah. Uh, we already answered your question though, so hopefully, uh yeah i'll i'll watch
3: it later on i
1: guess sorry yeah yeah we just want to keep it keep it kind of moving um okay uh uh, has muted himself uh there was a lady i believe that had a question
2: yes that's me
1: okay yeah go ahead
2: uh, yeah before i begin i just want to say that my husband and i really enjoy watching your videos and like tuning in for these um conversations but yeah so my question was with regards a debt-free economy. I imagine that without debt and without the um, the impact that interest would have on like monetary policies, on and just in currencies, on um, on economic stimulus, uh, governments would lean more towards fiscal policies um, in order to stimulate the economy. And in that case, um, they would be putting more into like government spendings and be creating more jobs. And so, government like um, fiscal policies have a more long-term effect than monetary policies, and um, my my question is, um, have we ever seen, uh, like uh, historically, uh, not economies, but have we ever seen economies that solely rely on fiscal policy as a alternative to monetary policy? And has it been efficient? And what, how, how long, like for how long, can such a system?
1: Yeah, so that's a really good question. And uh, ultimately, you are right. Of course, uh, if we didn't have debt, uh, the governments would lose one of the control levers that they have. Uh, But a big uh, and probably pretty important thing to note about monetary policy is that it's not necessarily the tool um, that is there to control uh, economic prosperity. It's a happy little side effect, um, but it's actually more so there to control inflation. Uh, If you think about it, uh, you know, I don't know, using the analogy of a tool, uh, monetary policy is kind of like a wrench. It's really fantastic at, at tightening and, and loosening, uh, you know, nuts and bolts and we'll call nuts and bolts inflation, uh, but it has the, you know, added side effect that it's, you know, if you really wanted to, it, it, it makes for a pretty damn good hammer, um, but, you know, an actual hammer, which is fiscal policy is much better at driving in nails. They'll both do the job, but, you know, there, they are better, they are better sort of uh, solutions. Now, to answer your question, uh, yeah, of course, you know there would be uh, sort of a more heavy emphasis on just using fiscal policy to control things like inflation and obviously uh, economic growth, and you know they would tax more if inflation was getting out of hand, and uh, you know and, and spend less, and you know they'd have to sort of control two things at once. But uh, I have no doubt that fiscal policy would be able to do that. And uh, you know, did societies like that exist? Yeah, of course, you know, um, any kind of society that existed before modern banking effectively had that. Uh, now, you know, the role of modern government was uh, not as severe as it is today uh, in, in those sort of societies. But if you think of you know, places like Rome or Greece or, you know, any of the dynasties of China, um, they sort of more or less existed without modern banking as we know them today. We, we certainly didn't have uh, central banking institutions dictating monetary policy or anything like that. And, um, and you know, obviously while they weren't as... You know yeah. uh, advanced as, as we are today with our modern societies, they were certainly efficient for the technology that they had available to them. Um, and you know they also, they also had the ability to, to grow and develop and uh, you know we accommodated you know, a good part of the industrial Revolution without central banking. Uh, so yeah, I don't think that it's necessarily something it would lose one of the, the levers of control that we have, uh, but it wouldn't necessarily crash the whole crash the whole plane that, and look, of oh. course, that's it's speculation, but um, you know, that would be that would be my
5: uh, my thoughts. Okay, yes, I think, can I ask something? I think, uh, no, hang on, I think Bowler Bowler's been waiting patiently. Yes,
1: oh, yeah, go ahead. So, Bowler. I have, that have a team. question:
7: If every country in the world would adapt um, no debt policy, would we be able to avoid recessions, or at least not have them as bad as we have them?
1: If every country was able to do that, yes we would be able to uh, avoid recessions and even if we did have them they wouldn't be as bad so think of uh think of what's making this current crisis right now bad it's not necessarily the fact that everyone has to stay in their homes and uh you know obviously you know there are hundreds of thousands of people out there dying that's that's bad that's a sort of a humanitarian crisis but and um, fun yeah that is one of those things that's You know, it's not necessarily going to have an immediate impact on the economy. What is, like, you know, sort of scaring a lot of economists is the fact that people can't afford to lose two or three weeks of work or lose their jobs or have to rely on welfare or anything like that because they've got debts to pay. Uh, And that is going to cause a much bigger economic crisis than the fact that, oh, you know, people have sort of skipped three or four weeks of work. Um, And that is going to be the sort of really scary part of it. Uh, The the fact that we're so over leveraged that in situations like this or even in situations where we sort of realize or get a little bit more unsure about ourselves, uh, yeah, you know, the whole system kind of falls apart because we sort of over inflate this whole thing with with shit tons of debt. Now, if we didn't have debt, we wouldn't have these other issues. Uh, Same is ultimately true in a much more obvious way in let's say 2008. If we didn't have mortgages, we couldn't have a subprime mortgage crisis, could we? Uh, You know, in 2011, obviously that was a, a speculation fueled Uh, A downturn but a lot of that was facilitated by taking on debt to to facilitate these sort of companies. Um, So yeah we would alleviate uh, entirely recessions that are purely sort of debt based recessions like 2008 Um, and we would certainly massively reduce the impacts of things like 2020 uh, because you know what if I didn't have any debt and my landlord didn't have any debt and you know I was sort of just cool and I got my $1,200 stimulus I could make a, I could go a pretty long time if I didn't have to pay rent or uh, pay back my credit card or pay back my home loan or something like that. I could, I could sort of stiff it out and we could stay home, no problem at all. Uh, and, you know, obviously when we get back to work, we'd have a bit of catching up to do. But realistically, the impacts wouldn't be so bad. Um, so, yes, yeah, certainly if we were able to adopt it, um, our immediate growth would not be as sharp. So during the good times, it wouldn't be as good. But during the bad times, it would not be nearly as bad. Uh, great question. Hope that answered it.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, can I ask something about the market in the long term?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Go ahead.
0: Uh, so, Bogle, uh, well, he kind of argues that, like, cumulative long-term re- uh, returns earned by the businesses, so dividend yield plus the rate of earnings growth, and the returns, like, on the on the stock market are perfectly tied together, pretty much. He argues that, like, only about 0.1% is created by speculation and everything else just like disappears in the long run. So like in short term, yeah, we can see like huge, uh, discrepancies, but th- that all evens out. So do you agree with that or no?
1: Uh, well, look, I think he has a, a interest in obviously saying that, uh, you know, um, there's, there's efficiencies in the, in the market and that ultimately they'll sort of just, you know, be in line with, with general economic prosperity. Um, you know, he, is a, sort of a key player in, in Vanguard and, um, you know, the the indexes that they sort of produce. Um, but you know, for the most part, yes, I agree with it. Ultimately speculation returns to zero. Uh, the reason being is because of course there are people that speculate on the bullish side and there are people that speculate on the bearish side and, you know, realistically ultimately in the long run, they're probably going to even each other out. Um, I think that's probably a, you know, a, a pretty, um, you know, a pretty sort of reasonable assumption to, to make. Cool, thanks. That's okay.
5: Uh, I think Yoshi uh, has a question. Go ahead. Okay. Question. Am I uh, coming through? Hello. Uh, Yoshi. Hello. Go ahead.
8: Yeah. Can yeah, I ask my question? Yep go, yep. go ahead. Okay. Uh, so I've been. So I, I watched the video just like probably a good twenty minutes ago, and then joined on. Um, and then I I remember uh, reading about this. I was just like looking to search it up. And um, I don't remember who the economist was. It's like a well-known economist, but he basically proposed the... Hello? Yeah, go ahead. ahead. Uh, There's basically the idea of, I think it also happened after Germany in World War II, where all the debts that the Nazis had, um, they basically just wrote them off and basically considered them null, Um, which in some ways was like, it's kind of insane just to like, give up like just write off debts but it allows for germany to kind of start with a clean slate right now we're like in this debt bubble where basically every single most countries in the world especially united states china europe they're basically like stuck they're almost like stuck in debt at this point we're like we almost can't like get out of it through any like normal way other than we increase debt or we just have to get rid of it if do you think the idea of writing off debts to like and just like kind of like hitting the reset button on the world economy would be an okay idea? I don't, it probably won't be feasible, but do you think that would be um, a good idea in order to like then reset and build on like new fundamentals?
1: Uh, it's a really interesting idea. And I actually do plan to make a video on that entirely uh, with the idea that, yep, we're going to 100% uh, reset the economy. Everybody's assets and liabilities are taken to zero. What would happen uh, now again, of course, It's speculation. Uh, Nobody would really know what happened, and realistically, it would be complete chaos, uh, at least for the uh, the very, very beginning, because people would sort of riot in the street. But um, it would be sort of uh, pretty, pretty interesting, you know, to sort of see what would happen. Uh, Now, realistically, what I would say would happen is that um, you know, countries that still have genuine wealth to, to generate. Uh, and I'm not relying on the fact that they have a really solid reputation or they have a reserve currency and stuff like that would do really well. Uh, it may be you know one of the times where places like Africa uh, actually sort of pull out ahead you know, based on their genuine merit uh, of having a whole lot of natural resources and you know a good pool of labor. Um, but I think in the meantime, um, to really understand uh, especially national debt, Watch my video on modern monetary theory if you haven't already or watch a lecture on modern monetary theory. Uh, you don't have to necessarily agree with the theory as to, to what it can do. Um, but it's really important to understand uh, how debts at that level work and how they sort of are different from the debt that you might owe on your credit card or um, the, the debt that you might own on your home loan. because uh, there are a few sort of differentiating factors there.
8: I found the, uh, what is it, like the modern monetary video extremely interesting. It kind of, it, like, it, a lot of ways makes a lot of sense, especially the theory because um of how, like, we, how money is, like, used in our society. But at the same time, a lot of, like, just general, like, basic economic, like, ideas and, like, things that we, like, rely on kind of just go out the window. Um, And it probably won't ever be really feasible. So in... So like right now, if we, how do I say like, if we can't really, like, we can always look back and see what happened. It's kind of obvious as to what happened. And then like the future of how, how we're going to actually solve this instead of, um, like just doing what we used to do, like in 2008, also in 2001, where we just cut interest rates, um, introduced like liquidity in the form of debt, uh, to try to save the markets and the economy, but it caused another debt bubble you think is there any way that we can kind of get out of this like maybe maybe like a more reasonable solution instead of like writing off all the, all the debts is in some ways trying to like renegotiate debts to lower it obviously that's also extremely difficult let's say u.s the u.s and china in their situation right now being like okay we're gonna take the one trillion um dollar debt and like ref- like basically renegotiate to like 500 billion or something that would be extremely difficult but do you think that would be in some ways, reasonable?
1: Yeah, and I think, look, doing it on a nationwide level, probably pretty much impossible. Um, but hey, look, you know, we're already sort of seeing like small scale uh, things with that where, you know, there's a lot of presidential candidates that are floating the idea of universal student loan relief. Um, you know, there are potential issues, though. Uh, of course, you know, if you get into the idea that people sort of have the understanding that, oh, look, occasionally my debt's going to be completely wiped off. If anything, that might encourage people to go out and take on more debt, right? So you might actually create more problems than the solution was worth. Um, but it's just—it's again—it's one of those things. Look, I could talk about it sort of somewhat endlessly, uh, and it's one of those things where realistically, all you can do is muse about the possible sort of outcomes. You can't really say, "Yep, yeah, no, nah, this is exactly what's going to happen." These are the advantages, disadvantages, because uh, the truth is, we don't know. We can sort of sit here and speculate. It'd be a fantastic sort of campfire conversation. Uh, well, fantastic campfire conversation for boring people like me. But um, a- again, um, I'm sorry sure I can't give you a really square, um, satisfying answer to that that question. But it is a good
8: question. Yeah, ne- yeah, technically there'll never be a satisfying answer until it actually happens.
1: Yeah, become, become president and uh, find out for us, all right?
8: Yeah, then we'll figure it out. <laughs> all right, thank you, thank you. No
1: worries, mate. All right, uh, I'm going to take one more question, and then I am going to go to bed. Uh, apologies, guys. It is sort of early in the morning, and I've already gone sort of somewhat overtime. Uh so who is it going to be? The first person to put X in the chat gets their question Can answered. Can be my question. Ah, oh, Buns, you already had one. All right, okay. So I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Ninja Kiwi.
4: So, um, in terms of when you're dealing with an economy that's like in hyperinflation. Um, would they be able to raise their taxes to kind of get out of it? Since taxes are like the basis of the demand for the currency, like could they artificially increase demand to try to match the inflationary rate?
1: Uh, yeah, you could. Now that has the sort of uh, unsettling, uh, like unsettling sort of process of, of potentially killing your economy, uh, and that also does rely on the fact that people are still trading in your currency. Uh, but yeah, you, you can you can do that. Um, it is just one of those things that you have to sort of, you know, if you get into a situation like hyperinflation, uh, unfortunately, you can get sort of real rough because it's sort of a somewhat self uh, substantiating, you know, uh, event where normally you kind of have to sort of say, all right, well, that currency is completely rubbish. We're gonna we're gonna start with a new currency, um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, taxation is one of those things that you can actually use to sort of get a grip on it pretty quick, smart uh, if you see it coming. Good question.
5: All right. Yeah, but in the I would add in the middle of hyperinflation, not not really.
1: It's... Yeah, it's probably too late at
5: that point, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right, um, so thanks for everyone that watched the video. thanks for everyone that sort of participated here and on the the YouTube live stream. Um, I'm sorry, I couldn't stay a little bit longer, but it is uh, it is super late. Uh, and I just wanna make sure I still have time uh, where I can kind of reach as many people as possible. So other than that, uh, continue the conversations in and amongst yourselves. Um, as I said, sort I of say, every time there's plenty of people more intelligent than I am to ask questions to, so um, go ahead and other than that I'll see you guys all on the, for the video on Thursday. Laters guys!